Take your holiday as seriously as British Airways Holidays takes your holiday. So ditch your desk, set your out-of-office on, and unwind on the white sandy beaches of the Dominican Republic. With an all-inclusive, family-friendly break at the Grand Palladium Palace Resort and Spa. Or luxurious adult-only getaway at the TRS Turquesa Hotel. Book now with a low deposit at ba.com slash palladium. T's and C's apply at all protected. I'm John Golia. And I'm Greg Fife, And we are the Flight Safety Detectives. We're just two guys who have spent most of their career with the National Transportation Safety Board investigating aircraft disasters and aviation safety issues all over the world. Yep, and this podcast is where we talk about everything from accidents, airplane technology, to the big business of aviation. We live and breathe aviation. My co-host John has been in the aviation business for more than 60 years. He was the first and only airframe and power plant mechanic to get a presidential appointment to the National Transportation Safety Board. And Greg is a former air safety investigator and GOAT team captain for the NTSB. He's investigated everything that flies worldwide since he started his career 40 years ago. And on top of that, he is a living legends of aviation inductee. So between John and myself, we have over 100 years of aviation safety experience. It's time to buckle up because it's going to be wheels up. Let's get this show in the air. Well, John, it is another edition of Flight Safety Detectives, and we've been talking about in the last uh, several episodes the fact that we aren't together, and we continue to abide by all the stay-at-home protocols with COVID-19. And hopefully, you know, we're going to start to return to some level of normalcy. One of the big things that we've been talking about in uh, the recent past is trying to build confidence of the flying public to get them back on commercial carriers. And there have been a number of stories, groups and companies that have come up with cleaning solutions as far as getting on fogging airplanes, wiping down all of the exposed parts that people would touch and that kind of stuff. But again, this is going to evolve. It's not something where you know, just because they show some fancy pictures on TV or write a story about it or even the, the promotional ads that are on aircraft now as you're buying your ticket and you get on the airplane, they go, we got a clean airplane. People don't really believe that and they aren't going to know that it is that safe until the flying public does return. And of course, the other controversial issue is trying to be socially distant on the airplane, not selling middle seats, spreading people out. Well, we know that as flying really starts to return to normal, the airlines are in the business to make money. They can't fly with empty seats. At some point, those, quote, empty seats or that spacing is going to shrink, and we're going to put these people back right next to each other. So all of these are concerns that, of course, as you and I fly all the time, you know, we think about and, you know, we can only take so many precautions. But one of the big issues is really understanding what's being done on the uh, on the aircraft to promote this level of safety by way of discussing cleaning. So I'll let you introduce our guest today because I think Lisa will be able to give us a good education since that is the business that her company is in. Well, thank you, Greg. And uh, I have the honor of introducing Lisa Kay, 
was the chief operating officer for the sanitation side, I guess, professional cleaning side of a company called MV5. And they're a nationwide company. And one of the products that they offer is cleaning for aircraft airports, essentially engineering solutions to the cleaning issue. So welcome, Lisa. Welcome to the show. Uh, Thank you. So we don't actually do cleaning. We provide third-party validation that cleaning is performed correctly, and we actually write cleaning protocols in accordance with current CDC and WHO and EPA guidelines. So I'm a part of NV5. We're a global engineering and environmental consultancy with more than 4,000 people across the country. Our firm does engineering as well as consulting, and I lead the environmental health and safety group. And within that group, we provide industrial hygiene services. So right now, one of the things that we're doing for our clients is consulting with them on what they need to do in order to get prepared to reopen their businesses. We're consulting with healthcare systems to help advise them on ensuring that their cleaning protocols are meeting the current standards, training staff, and providing a third-party verification that things are done correctly. So with that being said, Lisa, with you providing these cleaning programs and protocols and and those kinds of things, what is it, I mean, because again, to get people on airplanes, they've got to transit through an airport. We know that some of the airports, if not all the airports, are requiring people that as soon as they walk in the door, they better have a mask on or they're not going to be able to operate in the airport. And, and then, of course, you get on an airplane, you must be wearing a mask as well. So what, how big a job is that? I mean, you're cleaning, I mean, like DIA, Denver International. That's a large, voluminous volume of air in space. How would you and what would you clean to ensure the safety of these folks as they transit through the airport? Yeah, so the, the major things to look at are really high-touch spaces, so places where people touch, right? So when you think about how people move throughout a building and an airport and what they touch, that's what's most important. We are acting as environmental managers at one airport in Southern California right now. And what we've observed is, you know, humans, all of us, we have muscle memory. And I'm sure you both have experienced this. I know I have. When this first started, I went to the grocery store and I just got right in line. I didn't remember about the social distancing. So now grocery stores have started have started to mark off the six feet apart. They've put in controls to remind us. They've done things and airports are doing the same. Even things like when you get on an escalator, people don't think to space themselves out on an escalator. So at the airport that we're working at, they actually have hired somebody to stand there and verbally remind people, okay, don't get on yet. Now it's your turn. One person at a time in an elevator. And then when you think about an escalator, and I mentioned the places to clean are those high-touch places, people are touching the handles, right? They're touching the moving handlebar area of the escalator. That's the area that has to continually and consistently be cleaned and wiped down. Any place that somebody touches, the, the, the buttons inside the elevator, the keypads, all of those need to be cleaned because it's, it's the touch that area that has to be paid attention to. The masks are worn so that we prevent people who are 
carrying the disease and maybe they don't know it from infecting others by, you know, their aerosol virus coming out of their mouth and nose and, and then moving through the air. The other thing that we're recommending to all of our clients, whether they're airports or industries or just, you know, retail is really looking at their air movement and how they're, how they're handling their air and ensuring they've got good ventilation and that they're managing their air systems well, as well as taking care of their filters and replacing them on a frequent basis. Is there a need to replace those filters more frequently now that we've discovered this virus? It's a good practice in general to do so, especially now. We are making that recommendation. All of our recommendations are, you know, for example, in the healthcare industry, we're following their guidance to make sure that at least the minimum that's being done is following current CDC, EPA, and other guidance. And what about the materials used, the chemicals used? So the cleaning chemicals used, EPA actually has a current list. You can get it off of the EPA and CDC website. They're chemicals, cleaning products that are approved for use with the novel coronavirus. Now, I think it's worth noting that, you know, we don't know for sure. I mean, we've assumed that these chemicals, because they kill other similar enveloped viruses, that they're effective on the novel coronavirus. And the reason I say that is, you know, nobody's sitting in a lab with live coronavirus testing these chemicals to see if they work. That That's not how it works. They're going through and EPA is saying, these chemicals work on this type of virus, so therefore they will be effective on this similar type of virus. And so they've got a list of approved chemicals. And what's really important in that list is making sure that A, chemicals you're using are on that list, and B, you're using them in the right manner and that you're wearing the right personal protective gear because as you apply the chemicals, they're in the air during the application and you're going to be possibly inhaling them and then, you know, you're you're in that environment so they could get on your skin while you're applying them. So you want to make sure the person doing the cleaning is wearing the appropriate personal protective gear for, to protect themselves. With spraying all of this kind of cleaning solutions into the aircraft, whether it's fogged or, or just laid on the surface and wiped off and things like that, and we know what the EPA says that, yeah, these are approved for use and you can have human the animals around it and it won't have any adverse effect, blah, blah, blah. The big thing is now that you're spraying an aircraft either every day or after every flight, which some airlines have talked that every between every flight, they're going to clean these airplanes. One of our concerns, of course, from a safety standpoint, is what effect does it have on the aircraft? You have metal structure, you have leather, pleather, whatever you want to call it. You have all of these plastic parts, you have wiring, you have insulation on this wiring. And as all of this chemical builds up on these surfaces, yeah, the surfaces that are wiped off, that's one thing. But this stuff gets up in behind the overheads where all the wiring and the cables, and of course, the aircraft structure. What kind of corrosive effect? Has anybody looked at that? And is there any material that you look at because it could have long-term effects, whether it's on an airplane or on the structure of a building. Yeah, so we haven't actually looked at that, but we do think about what we call unintended consequences. I think the best example is in a building, if you're adjusting your air handling unit so you can provide maybe a little bit 
better humidity because, you know, increasing humidity is supposed to be a good thing with this virus, you might, in fact, have the unintended consequence of creating mold growth somewhere. You know, really thinking through and paying attention to unintended consequences and doing good maintenance is going to be important as we go forward. Is there chlorine used in any of these chemicals? It's recommended if, you use, if you're using bleach to use really dilute. But yes, there are some of the chemicals that have different components that could in fact be corrosive if they're applied and sitting for a period of time. Really depends on how they're applied and if they're getting behind the scenes, like you say. And how, basically, how are the chemicals, how are they applied? So it depends. Each, each is different. Some of them are applied. So, for example, on hard surfaces, the recommendation for most hard surfaces for application is to really get the, a rag super saturated. So if you think about a tray table, you saturate your rag and you get that tray table wet and you let the material dry for 10 minutes. For a plastic or a glass, that's really the recommendation. You have to read the EPA recommendations as well as the label. So each of the chemicals have a what's called a dwell time listed on there. And you have to read that dwell time. And that's the time that that material that you're cleaning has to remain wet. CDC is also recommending right now for carpets and fabrics, uh, HEPAVAC. Lisa, with, with this kind of, some folks are using uh, these chemicals in an aerosol form. So they're, they're fogging the aircraft. Of course, this stuff is going to adhere to whatever they're spraying, and it's going to have some dry time to it. And you were talking about the fact that it's got to stay on at least, what, 10 minutes and things like that for really it to be effective. But again, that all depends on layering. I mean, if somebody's in a hurry, one of the big things that John and I, again, have talked about with some of these current airlines is that they get into the gate, they offload people, offload luggage, they slam people back on the airplane after the cleaning crew is blasted through there just picking up the obvious trash. Yeah, yeah. That 20-minute turn isn't going to allow for proper cleaning. And this material, some of this stuff, could still be in the process of being wet while you're trying to load passengers if you're in a quick turn situation. The big thing here is I know that you had just talked about your or having folks in a biohazard suit uh, while they're applying it because it could cause irritation and that kind of stuff. I mean, those are the concerns that I always have. What is, what do you think is the best method? I mean, you know, fogging an airplane is great, but is wiping it down better because it's more of a controlled application or, you know, or yeah. does it really matter? <laughs> I, I don't know that it really matters. I think what really matters is that whatever material is being used to clean the aircraft is effective for the and being used as intended to be effective. So in other words, if the chemical used in the fogging by the aircraft, and I know a number of airlines have started to use fogging disinfectants, and if that is effective then that's fantastic as long as they're using the chemical as it's intended to be used on the surfaces properly. You, Let's put it that way. You bring up a key word, though, effective. How do you measure effectivity? How does an airline go in there and know that the fogging has worked or the chemical they're using has worked and that kind of stuff if nobody's really studying <laughs> yeah. the, effect, the effectiveness of the chemical? 
Well, the effectiveness of the chemical is based on other viruses of similar type. And the manufacturer is going to have the most detail. And they usually provide guidance on how to properly apply it to different surfaces. What we've seen in the applications we've been monitoring, and granted, they haven't been in aircraft. For hard surfaces, the recommendation is really to get that surface pretty wet. For you know, fabric surfaces, you're talking about seats. And so I think the air, airlines industry has found the quickest, most efficient way for them is really a viricide in a fogger. I'm not sure what chemical products they're using or what viricides they're using, but I would hope <laughs> that they're following, you know, working closely with the chemical manufacturer to follow the right application. Well, one would hope their engineering departments are uh, riding herd on that. But in today's environment, one doesn't know. Correct. From the outside, we can't tell. Although I know if you look back to, you know, Hong Kong is reopened and, you know, they've done a lot of things in Hong Kong and to try to combat the virus. They've taken a lot of sanitation steps. They've also started to, I, I was recently reading and I found this interesting, they've started to coat some of their high-touch areas in public transportation with coatings that kill the virus. So coatings that have nanoparticles inside that are disinfecting. I was going to ask you about that. I've been reading there's a lot of products out there that claim that you can put it on once and it's good for a year. Has that been your experience? Can they last that long? <laughs> That's a good question. I, I don't have experience with those products. They are new products, but I will say, you know, there's a whole new market developing here. So I know even some paint manufacturers are coming out with coatings that are going to have activities and, and be able to prevent transfer of bacteria and virus. So it'll be interesting to see. There's a whole new market space developing there. You know, there are ways that you could kind of spot check to see if the product as it's applying is working or to spot check to see if you have any viruses, right? You could take a white sample and then analyze it for by PCR to see if you've got any active, any viruses, not active, you wouldn't know, but you can see if you have any viral particles on that wipe. Some people are doing that. It only tells you if there was virus there and the cleaning didn't remove it. Wow, that's interesting. Well, I think it's, you know, we are in an interesting time and I know that uh, we're doing things at least to an extreme right now, trying to jumpstart some parts of the economy, of course, returning folks into restaurants and stores. And of course, we want travel to return. I see that Amtrak is trying to do the same thing. Are you doing this kind of consulting for other modes of transportation? Are you looking at the rail and, uh, and subways and, and bus carriers and things like that? Or are you basically looking at building structures and, and that kind of thing? So far, we've been looking at operations and so operations of manufacturing facilities, as, as well as um, operations for municipal facilities, maintenance yards, courthouses, things of that nature. As I said, we work inside airports. So we're working as environmental health and safety folks, as well as we do our um, MEP team. That's, that's not a team I lead, but that team does quite a bit of work at airports as well. And then we work at healthcare centers. So we haven't done anything re with regards to industrial hygiene and sanitation for public transit yet. That being said, I do know that 
you know, a lot of fogging has been considered and is starting some of the public transportation systems. I've seen that on the news. It's interesting because of the New York City claims that much of their problem and the reason why they have such high numbers is because of all the public transportation. It's horrible to drive within New York City. Yeah. Well, it's a lot of people in a small confined space, right? I wonder, and if you kind of imagine what's next, I know they're, they're talking about trying to figure out how to handle airflow in airplanes and what can be done there. And I've heard about UV lights that will flash disinfect the bathrooms. And that's, you know, an exciting development. I'm sure you all have read about that. Yeah. I actually have a unit myself for that purpose. But one of the things that baffled me is that, that in the instructions, it said three minutes. <laughs> and then elsewhere, I see UV light kills, in, kills the uh, germs instantly. Yeah, it's only, it's useful for the area it's exposed. You can't just kind of wand it across everything. You couldn't, unfortunately, walk with a UV light down the plane and, and have it work necessarily. So, And human exposure, we all know what UV light exposure is. It's, you know, skin cancer and things like that. So, you know, there right. are these Definitely don't want people in there. Definitely don't want people in there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Well, of course, there was a big controversy with the president and making some of those kinds of statements. And so, you know, these are great solutions if they are operated or used within very specific and controlled boundaries um, because yeah. uh, they, they can create more problems than just killing this virus. So, Correct. And as we think about, you know, if you look at the OSHA for most of our clients, we look at the OSHA requirements, being environmental health and safety professionals. And so OSHA requires you to look at how people move throughout a facility and in an operation, look at what tasks they're doing, you know, what their role is, and then identify different risks and how you can mitigate those risks either through administrative controls like setting policies, making people wear masks, or engineering controls where you you know, design something different. Maybe you put a physical barrier like plexiglass between people, things that you can engineer a solution and then administrative policies that you set and taking people's temperatures, for example, which is really more a deterrent. I think we know now that not everybody who has the virus has a elevated temperature. One of the things that I've noticed um, just shopping because, you know, the typical name brand disinfectants and sanitizers disappear off the shelves real quick. But there is a lot of plant-based. I've got some hand sanitizer that's basically plant-based hmm. and, and it's laced with some alcohol. But the rest of it is, is plant-based disinfectant. Do you all look, because we are into this green earth and and trying to be environmentally friendly, the last thing we want to do is be spraying all of this bad stuff, <laughs> you know, especially because now it's going to be escalated. Is there anything that you know of that could be plant-based or more organic? Yeah, so, so I mean, there's a couple. We haven't found that yet. Most of our clients have really just been reacting to try to make sure they kill the virus. But, you know, alcohol is effective, Hydrogen peroxide is effective. It's really, you know, can you use it on that surface? And at what strength are you going to use it? And then there's a lot of common cleaners that are effective as well. You just want to 
you know, we also, I, I think EPA has said, be cautious about using bleach because it's pretty strong. And also, you know, you don't want to have something highly toxic to people. Well, the, the common uh, Clorox bottle of bleach is 2%. Is that considered strong? It's just you want to use it diluted. If you're going to use it on surfaces, you want to dilute it. So even weaker than the 2% that comes out of the bottle. Yeah, I'm trying to remember. I don't have it in front of me, but what, what our, our recommendation is for bleach. But yes, it's, it's, it's diluted. Yeah, I can remember on some accident scenes that we had to have wash stations when we left the area of the accident. We diluted the bleach down quite a bit. I mean, we put a gallon of bleach in a bucket with four or five gallons of water. Yes, that's so. So I know, like, even for sanitizing food, CDC, you know, for sanitation, they recommend about a tablespoon of common household bleach to a gallon of water or a cup to five gallons. So you do want to dilute it. What other kind of chemicals are used? A lot of alcohol-based chemicals, you know, your, your typical Lysol, Clorox wipes. There's some special viricides that are listed on the uh, EPA website that have been approved. Well, I think this is going to continue to be one of those evolving issues. I was reading today that the virus itself is able to morph and has morphed into 25 different types of viral configurations like anything else. You know, what works today may not work tomorrow. So I think it's going to be an interesting study to watch the dynamic of how we fight this virus, how we kill it, and whether or not it morphs. Kind of like the flu virus has morphed into the super flu virus because it's become resistant to a bunch of stuff. And hopefully that won't happen. But, you know, you can never say never. So it's going to be an interesting study going forward because, Every airline's got to protect everybody on that airplane and uh, and in the airports and, and other facilities. So it's going to be uh, an interesting dynamic to watch over the next couple of years. So. The other thing I should say about the cleaning products is you really want to be sure you're not obviously mixing two products that that aren't compatible, <laughs> just like cleaning in your house, because, you know, quaternary ammonium is is OK to clean. It's listed in EPA guideline as being something that does kill the virus. And then bleach is listed as well, right? So you just want to be cautious. Hydrogen peroxide, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of different products, glycolic acid, good old hand soap, wash your hands and get things really, uh, you know, quaternary ammonium and isopropanol or a mix that is a ready-to-use disinfectant. There's quite a few things. Yeah, I have a friend of mine whose brother thought he was going to be uh, real smart when he was working in a restaurant to really sanitize the floor. So ended up mixing peroxide with chlorine bleach. That didn't go well. Yeah. So you just have to think about (laughs) what you're you're putting together. Yeah. And that's, that's the big thing because with the shortages, whether, you know, commercially or just locally going into the grocery store, people are going to start. And I know that some people have, start concocting their own stuff. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they're not looking at the chemistry. They're looking at, well, I know that alcohol is good and I know that this other stuff is good. So if I mix them together, it'll be better. Yeah, it's not so good. So there are a lot of products out there. There's also a lot of brand name viricides that people are 
claiming to have created and used. And they're they're just mixes of different things and a different proportion that folks are using. They're using them for fogging. A lot of the cleaning products, though, as I mentioned, do have a contact time or a dwell time of anywhere from five to 10 minutes before they're effective. So I think that's important to note. Some are a little shorter. Some are three or two if they're you know strong enough, like a strong isopropanol applied correctly can be as short as two minutes contact time. So it's just a matter of really reading the labels, understanding the product that's being used. And, and that's super important. And then I think the other thing is, as you said, it's going to be a challenge to get the, the casual traveler, the vacation traveler to want to get back on a plane. I think we're forever changed, right? We changed after 9-11, the way we travel changed. And I think our entire world is changing again and will be forever different. Absolutely. Lisa, is the dwell time on uh, all the labels? It is, and it's also on the EPA guideline. You can, on the EPA website, there's a link to it. You can go to www.epa.gov. They've got a page that lists all the approved disinfectants. And in there, it also lists the dwell time. Hey, Lisa, is there anything, you know, one of the things about going through TSA is they, you know, occasionally you get selected for a random screening and they wipe your hands down and your luggage or whatever your carry-on is. Is there anything that you know of on the TSA's, you know, no-no list that if they were to wipe your hand because you were using something as a sanitizer would trigger that chemical, hey, we got you kind of thing? Wow, that's a good question. I hope not. (laughs) I'm often a little nervous when that happens to me. Yeah, I'm not aware of anything that would do that. But gee, that's a really interesting question. I think they're looking for nitrates. I think that's that swab. Yeah, I think they're looking for uh, if if you got something that might blow up, right? Yeah, but, you know, if you're carrying, you know, some of these, you know, if somebody's carrying just a, you know, two and a half ounce bottle of alcohol, that's flammable and things like that. So I'm just, I didn't know. I mean, I've gotten whacked a couple of times going through TSA, especially after I've just done a wreckage inspection. You know, you're you're in the middle of the wreckage. It, It was burning or it had burned and the parts you were touching you know, had chemical residue on them. And I've gotten, I've gotten stopped a couple of times coming through TSA. And the next thing you know, they're strip searching me in the back of the, you know, back of the place because I tested positive when they swiped my hand or my bag. Wow. So I didn't know with all of these chemicals that we're using for cleaning, disinfecting, you know, trying to be proactive our protection, whether or not there was anything that might set the um, TSA folks off. Well, so if you're cleaning your house, and we all should be, and you should be wiping down your doorknobs and, you know, high-touch surfaces even in your home. So that means your doorknobs and places on the door that you might touch to push the door open. That means your front door and your handles on your cabinets, you should be wiping those down pretty regularly. If you're doing that, you should be wearing gloves and then you should be washing your hands. A lot of these cleaning products, they recommend you wear gloves. Yes, I, I see that all the time. And, you know, one of the things that I think John and I had talked about this as well um, on a previous show, thing that concerns me about these disinfectants, especially the spray disinfectants and the masks, 
people were spraying Lysol and stuff on their masks to clean their mask. Well, uh-huh. <laughs> you know, that too is bad. Or spraying just alcohol. Yeah, it's going to evaporate, but some people will put that mask on well before that stuff actually dries or evaporates. Next thing you know, you're inhaling those kinds of things. The only alcohol I want to inhale and ingest is called scotch. So. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So, yeah, Lysol, I wouldn't want to be breathing it on a regular basis. That's for sure. You certainly don't want to drink it. So, despite what anybody says, it's probably not a good idea to be making yourself a Lysol quarantini. Yeah, there you go. I like that. Well, we appreciate you coming on the show. We, uh, We had some technical difficulties with you during our first interview. Hopefully that's been corrected and uh, we'll be able to air this one because you've given us a lot of good, valuable information. So, again, we really appreciate you coming back on with us and and talking about this because I think we are going to continue to be talking about this sporadically uh, throughout the next year because, again, we're trying to build confidence. We're trying to eradicate in some form or fashion a very serious virus, but we also have to allow people to feel confident and comfortable and protected getting back to a quote normal life so uh i'm sure that we may be touching on this in the future but uh, we appreciate you coming back on the show and giving us your expertise Lisa. thank you and i think it's important for all of us to recognize that we're going to continue to learn as we go it's called novel coronavirus for a reason it's new and so I think we're all learning. And so we're all in this together. We're all learning as we go and, and things are going to continue to evolve. So thank you for having me. Great. Well, John, uh, you know, it is one of those things. I'm back on an airplane starting this next week, which is the middle of February. And so I'm going to be evaluating how the airlines are handling all of this and and actually just you know, from a personal experience, do I have the confidence and looking to see what they're doing to uh, to encourage me to get back on the airplane. So that'll be uh, definitely some firsthand experience that we can talk about on a, on a future podcast. I'll give you my assessment since I'll be on several airplanes traveling. Okay. All right, Greg, I'll let you wrap this up. Well, again, Lisa, thank you very much for participating. And, John, it's always good to talk to you. And, again, for you, the listeners, we know that we've gotten away from some of the things that we've been talking about, John and I have been talking about in the past with dissecting accidents. We are going to get back to that. But we thought that because of the most recent or current events, we wanted to touch in a broad way all of these issues that uh, we see compromise aviation safety or a passenger or flight crew safety. So that's why we've been hitting these subjects so hard. We have the anniversary of value jet on May 11th. And by the time this show airs, it'll probably be just after that anniversary. But value jet was a, a very critical accident. It was a key accident in changing the way we do business in aviation with the carriage of hazardous materials and uh, and that kind of thing, and undeclared hazmat on airplanes. John and I are going to be dissecting that accident and try and give you some behind the scenes, some backstories that you'll never see in the NTSB blue cover report and things like that, because there are some valuable lessons that we learned, some of which were employed, some of which still exist today. But again, 
some of those lessons that we learned, the regulations that were supposedly written to curb this kind of accident or prevent this accident have fallen by the wayside. And we have seen since ValueJet that there has been issues with undeclared hazmat on aircraft and have caused some events similar to fires that we saw on the uh, ValueJet aircraft. So we're going to get back into that. We'll stay up with the current events. Hopefully, through your feedback, you can tell us how we're doing. You can always communicate to us through our website and, of course, our email, which is flightsafetydetectives with an S at gmail.com. We try to make this conversational. We don't script it. We're thinking of of things as, as accident investigators and safety professionals, and we always value your input. Is there something you want us to talk about? We'll research it. We'll dissect it. We'll find case examples. We'll find subject matter experts to talk about it. But we want this to be informative for you. So we always appreciate your feedback, good, bad, and indifferent. And I will apologize again because our audio, because of my travel and, and our separation during this period, my audio hasn't been the best. We are working to correct that as well. So we're going to get back on track and get the show back in the air where it should be. And we look forward to hearing from you and increasing our, our listenership. So please give us a rating on your podcast provider, how we're doing. And of course, um, we're always looking for folks that want to donate or sponsor the show. So with all of that being said, my friend, John, I want you to stay safe, stay hold up, and you know what? Definitely breathe clean air. You know, we, we don't want you to be sick. I'm going to do everything I can not to be exposed to anything when I'm traveling. So we'll have something to talk about. I look forward to getting a get-out-of-jail-free cut. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I think you and I both. So when we get together, we're going to definitely have a great podcast. And uh, you know what? That one may be one of our video podcasts. So that could be an entertaining show. Okay. Thank you again, Lisa. Anybody in, in, in the audience that has a commercial operation that may need some engineering help with a solution to solve the problem in their facilities, it's NV5 is the company name. Lisa K is the COO. So she's available online. Again, fly safe. To listen to more episodes of the show, go to flightsafetydetectives.com or the Professional Aviation Maintenance Association at PAMA.org and wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Catch us next time when John Golia and Greg Fife talk about all things aviation. Thanks for listening.